Welcome to episode 45 of The People on Kechung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. On this episode, our guests are Gladys Catarina Hernando and Adam D. Miller. Gladys Catarina Hernando splits her time between Miami and Los Angeles as an independent curator. She also is the co-founder of and a curator at Joan, which is a gallery here in L.A. You know, music has this way of, you know, you play a song and it's referential to when you first heard it or a time or an experience, emotional experience, whatever. And it stays with you forever, basically. And sometimes I ask myself, can art do that? Adam D. Miller lives and works in Los Angeles and is the co-founder of the artist-run gallery, The Pit. There was this time, like in Los Angeles, where there, there were very few alternative spaces. And a lot of artists who would come out of MFA programs had this uh, mentality that you had to just go into your studio and work and wait for someone to come along and find you. But I didn't take that approach. And so for me, it was really strange entering the fine art world and realizing that no one else had this sort of do-it-yourself mentality. And coming up later, we'll take a listen to a new piece by Leroy Stevens from his project, Menu Options. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. You can listen to The People on Kechung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. You can also find us on iTunes, where you can subscribe, rate, and review the show. And you can find all our past episodes there as well. And you can also find those episodes at insertblancpress.net. Just go there and click on the people at the top of the page. Gladys Catarina Hernando and Adam D. Miller, welcome to the people. Yeah, welcome, guys. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you. So you're both curators, among many other things. And can you just tell us how, how you got there? Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, Gladys and I have been friends for a long time. Um, we met... Uh, when I was uh, getting my MFA at Art Center in, I think, 2006 is when we first met. Um, and we've just had, like, a lot of crossovers uh, with sort of what we what we do, I guess. Uh, I'm an artist, and uh, when I got done with my MFA, I started curating uh, shows in sort of alternative spaces around Los Angeles. Um, at the time, Gladys was working at a gallery. Richard, um, Richard Tejas. Yeah, she was working with Richard Tejas. Um and then went on to get, what was the actual uh, degree that you got at USC? I got a Master of Arts in Curatorial Studies in the public sphere. And then she launched out curating shows. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I actually started before that. Yeah, because you curated shows at Richard Tays and whatnot, right? I actually started curating, well, I was an artist many moons ago, but mm-hmm. wasn't making art. Um, I started curating uh, through Light and Wire, lightandwiregallery.com, oh, yeah. um, which was a website. But I actually started with um, an artist, Jessica Minkley, mm-hmm. and we did it for uh, a year or two, year and a half together. And I that was 2008, mm-hmm. and I continued it until December of 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time. And the site's down right now, but yeah, it's coming up again. Yeah, so yeah, so I was uh, sort of starting to yeah. independently curate. Uh, projects and stuff and I would make a zine to go along yeah. with them and they usually had some sort of uh, uh, subcultural ground that I would sort of use to talk about sort of theoretical or philosophical ideas and such and Gladys was basically running an alternative space because it was a, a exhibition space that was online prior to I don't think I even knew anyone who was doing it at the time um, and we had all these like sort of like similar uh, backgrounds uh, and sort of ideas of approaching art or where we kind of came from from when we were younger um, 
so that was kind of like the beginning of stuff. And yeah, I think we you would our conversation and back in the day. Yeah, you. I think you would. You always made a point to bring me a catalog or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After we initially, I think it was at openings, probably lots of openings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which were always super fun mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, we started talking about music and stuff, and then yeah, um, and then you started. Um, doing your shows. Yeah, and so when when I uh, finished my MFA, um, it was 2008, so like the economy had collapsed and there was very little opportunities for emerging artists at the time. Um, and I think it was kind of this moment where a lot of people coming out of MFA programs uh, had a very skewed perspective of what they expected would happen for them because years prior, uh, like literally like blue chip galleries were picking people up out of like yeah. MFA programs and they were having... Sk- career skyrocketing and then when we got out like nothing happened <laughs> so um there was this time like in los angeles where there there were very few alternative spaces like and, none. A, and a lot of artists who would come out of mfa programs had this uh mentality that you had to just go into your studio and work and wait for someone to come along and find you mm-hmm. um but i didn't take that approach and so it kind of goes back to sort of what prompted us to have this discussion which was when i was younger my background was in um uh, independent music and specifically like punk rock and garage bands in Northern California. And when I was very young, like 15, we started booking our own shows and making our own t-shirts and putting out records and, and doing tours. Like when we were like in high school. Um, and then for me, it was really strange kind of entering the fine art world and realizing that no one else had this sort of do it yourself mentality. I shouldn't say that no one did, but that it wasn't as prevalent as from where I came from. And Gladys had a similar sort of mentality and attitude and background. Um, yeah, I think um, we were, I think it was initiated by the very superficial um, physical um, attributes that we have, which is being very, one of the, two of the few people that have a lot of tattoos. Tattoos and we're black and <laughs> band t-shirts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, basically, especially then. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so. Um, so yeah, so when I, when I was starting to curate those shows, I would make a zine to go along with, with everyone. I would like silkscreen the covers and just do um, these like Xerox zines. Uh, and that's when I started giving copies to Gladys. Um, and then later on, you know, many years later in 2014, my wife and I opened The Pit, which is an artist-run gallery. Um, a big aspect of it is uh, we have a resale printer and we do these zine-style publications that go along with all the shows. And uh, Gladys contributed writing for two of the books, one or two of the books. Uh, and she was one of the first outside curators that we had, uh, we brought in to do a show with us. Um, so yeah, our paths have been interlinked for a long time. Yeah. And I think it really stems from, uh, the sort of like DIY attitude and backgrounds that we both kind of come from. And the pit, the, the gallery, which is now the gallery was Nothing. a garage. We, yeah, we didn't have it. It was a We'd, dark yeah. <laughs> room, scary, scary room. <laughs> You know, like molded walls yeah. and this crazy drop down. And then all and of a sudden, you 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 mentioned to me that you were going to do something with that space. Mm-hmm, that you got mm-hmm. that space from your landlord or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and this is all pre Joan, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, when did you start? The we pit? started July two thousand fourteen. When yeah. did when did when was Joan's first show? Joan opened in March of twenty fifteen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So just like a year later. And so you curated Gladys' show at the pit before Joan. Was it um, like uh, pretty early on at the pit? First show I curated that was not online was actually at Richard Tay's. Um, the show I did at the pit was in 
April of 2015. And what was that show? It was called The Elegant Universe. And it was four artists, uh, Olivia Booth, Nora Shields, Rod Fomian, and Sonia Gerdes. And there were basically, um, they're predominantly sculpture-based artists. Um, The idea of the show is based off of the book, The Elegant Universe, um, by Brian Greene, which is kind of about super string theory. I did a show also at Taos again in 2014, July 2014, called The White Album. Mm-hmm. I realized there's a connection kind of going through it all. The unknown, like the unknown and experience, like experiential. Mm-hmm. Like phenomenological sort of right, underpinnings. Right. Yes. And and like that, uh, that like approach to curating, uh, I found really interesting because again, like when I was doing my earlier shows outside of the pit, it would always stem from uh, like a genre of film or or a comic book mm-hmm. or some sort of like um, pop cultural thing that then I would use to sort of like talk about a philosophy or a theory. And right. oftentimes my shows had a sci-fi horror-y kind of element mm-hmm. to them. Um, and in all honesty, I, I don't think many people fully understand string theory. I don't. Yeah. And, <laughs> well. But it had a very like... Uh, you know, quasi-metaphysical sort of, like, uh, thing it was trying to discuss and, like, multidimensionality, which felt very sci-fi and H.P. Lovecraftian and all this kind of stuff that that I personally find really interesting and uh, is, like, a cool entryway to get people to think about and engage in these, like, complicated, crazy ideas, which is what I think good curating does. Well, I didn't... Well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, I actually didn't write an essay for the the publication we made. I... um, made an index. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm going to pretend that I can actually try to re- <laughs> fully explain string theory in a Regurgitate string, <laughs> string theory in the context of art. I don't have enough time. <laughs> well, how does, how does that approach to curation, that approach that it seems like you guys share or have a lot of crossover with, like how does that differ from uh, traditional curation? Like what's, mm-hmm. w- yeah, what's the difference? I don't even know what traditional curating might be okay well i think like there's uh there's like different goals for different types of curating so like like one like for example like we were talking earlier like gladys worked at mocha for a while um generally those types of shows are uh historical Mm -hmm. so it's about to like learn a history of an artist or of a of a movement or whatever Mm -hmm. um sometimes like now that we run programming at the pit i don't as often curate in this manner that we're talking about now i more often uh do tons of studio visits and find a dialogue that's naturally occurring between artists' work mm-hmm. and pair them together and see what comes out of it. I do that too. You know, yeah. And but so it's like, like the, contemporary the, historical. There. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, but yeah. like the sort of way that we were talking about this sort of mode is more like uh, finding a source, uh, oftentimes subcultural or uh, uh, someone's writing, theoretical, philosophical, uh, and then picking artists to sort of like filter through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding um, re- I guess like finding yeah. relationships between what is being currently made and its relationship to the outside world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where I guess traditional curating, if you were talking about, you know, in the you know museological sense, um, would be to historicize, you know, canonize certain things. Totally, yeah, um, yeah, 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 and to tell a certain narrative to, about art, exactly. Right, mm-hmm. tell yeah. a narrative or. Um, Revise a narrative, yeah, um, and generally, that's a very sort of can sometimes be rigid mm-hmm. and 
sort of predetermined already. Mm-hmm. It's just a more specific conversation, right. yeah. you think? Yeah. Yes, I think it's... There's less liberties taken, I suppose, mm-hmm. in that context. Mm-hmm. And starting spaces like, uh, or being involved with spaces like Joan or like the pit, like it seems like you would have more of an opportunity or more freedom to avoid that rigidity. Is that true? That must be true, right? Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I definitely hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we try. I mean, try yeah, we, 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 we try to keep it uh, uh, unexpected and uh, push boundaries and to, to. I mean, at the pit thus far, we've we've haven't done anything like. Uh, purely historical i mean i guess like the closest thing we did that was like historical was uh we did the, a show the westerman show hc westerman show we did I a, tri- for that a one. tribute to hc westerman yeah, yeah. And, she, and gladys wrote a piece for the for the publication so it was a really weird dark poem yeah she wrote this crazy poem <laughs> um uh that had to do with war because hc westerman uh had had served the military um there were titles it was all the the whole poem are his titles yeah yeah which oh. were, tend to be kind of crazy um so like that that show in itself like was I guess more like uh, again had like different concerns than like what we're talking about where like really was like I was like I had recently discovered H.C. Westerman's work I was or not recently but I was a huge fan of H.C. Westerman's work and a lot of my curating uh, does come from this point of investigating of being a fan like, yeah I love fandom right fandom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and like investigating something that I love like H.P. Lovecraft or like I curated a show like based on like the Swamp Thing comic books and like. Like weird stuff like that, you know, um, and so I was like really interested in H. C. Westerman, and it was in this moment that I felt uh, there was like a shift in younger uh, artists in Los Angeles where people were. I felt like it was uh, owed, maybe not tribute, but like uh, was in dialogue with H. C. Westerman's work, even though he wasn't really being talked about. Right. Where like a lot of younger people uh, were doing figuration again in cartoons and text and prints uh where i'd felt like maybe five years prior there was so much uh process driven like dominating stuff on and that's that's, out of of the schools that's definitely Um, you being sort of um inserting reinserting someone into yeah a conversation that's sort of been set aside or Mm -hmm. perhaps forgotten not forgotten but you know it's the trends Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't want to give you all the credit, but it seems like that's 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 the way it's going in LA, mm-hmm. at least, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's sort of the combination of that sort of traditional curating, mm-hmm. you know, in quotations, sure. and this what we're talking about is sort of how do you how do you make a new how why is it important to even look at art when we're surrounded by images or mm-hmm. what are artists looking at? Mm-hmm. What is it that is inspiring them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. We'll return to our conversation with Gladys Katharina Hernando and Adam D. Miller in a few minutes. But first, a new installment of Notes from the People. On this episode, we have an excerpt of an audio piece by Leroy Stevens from his wide-ranging project, Menu Options. The excerpt we're going to play is from a four and a half hour piece called Presidential Debate 2016, and the audio you'll hear is from the third presidential debate. The full recording was made live during each of the 2016 presidential debates using a rotating wireless microphone positioned between active radios. Nothing but money Saudi Arabia. She immediately, when she heard this, I questioned, and I questioned NATO. Why aren't the NATO questions? Why aren't they paying? Because they weren't paying. Since I did this, this was a year ago, all of a sudden, I've been given a lot of, a lot of credit for it. 
of a sudden they're starting to pay up. Pay up. Protecting people, they have to pay up. And I'm a big fan of NATO, but they have to pay up. She comes out and said, we love our allies, we think our allies are great. It's often hard to get them to pay up when you have some of us on. I don't think how great they are. We have to tell Japan in a very nice way. We have to tell Japan in all those countries, South Korea, we have to help us all. We have to help us all. During his regime, during President Obama's regime, we have to double our national debt. We have to double the trillion dollars. So my plan when we negotiate trade, we have more free trade than we have right now. that her husband said her jobs have been sucked out of our economy. You have to pay off the buses that I just left. You go to Pennsylvania, you go to Florida, you go to Florida, you go to upstate New York. Our jobs have fled to Mexico and other places. I am going to renegotiate NAFTA. And if I can't make a great deal, then we're going to turn out NAFTA and we're going to create new NAFTA. We're going to turn out NAFTA. We're going to do it because it has been a disaster. We're going to cut taxes massively. We're going to cut business taxes massively. We're going to bring the total of total dollars that's offshore back into the country. We are going to start the engine running. Our country is dying. Let me translate that if I can. You can't.
President Obama term, saving the economy. He doesn't get the credit it deserves for taking some very hard positions. But it was a terrible recession. So now we've dug ourselves out of it. We're standing, but we don't have money. So what I am proposing is that we invest from the middle end, from the ground up. Now let's return to our conversation with Gladys and Adam. So we were talking about curation uh, and the different kinds of curation that uh, you know you've done in the past that you guys have both done in the past. And during the break, uh, Gladys, you were telling us about your thesis at USC. Um, can yeah. can you tell us more about that? Sure. I actually read a. T- uh, it was an exhibition essay um, on a show called the. Art of Memory, The Loss of History by a curator um, named William Olander, who worked at the New Museum in during the 80s and was really moved by this essay. Um, I found it to be very contemporary um, in terms of thinking about curating as an act um, related to current events, current ideas, and... Um, Became very intrigued by this person, um, but Olander was um, had uh, Olander died of AIDS in 1987, so he basically was gone. There was nothing. There's no writing. There was just this this essay that I was given by one of my professors, and so I went on a a search for him basically and found his archive inside of another archive. His partner's archive, um, actually, um, at Yale at the Beinecke Library, and went there and looked through all of his documents and all of his papers, and which was such a personal experience. Actually, it was quite intense to see his, basically his, you know, his PhD was about the French Revolution and revolution, basically, mm-hmm. and works of art that can that are that are simultaneous revolution specifically he was think he was he wrote about uh le mort de Morat. it's written on like long ledger paper and all by hand with this impeccable penmanship and you know seeing all of his work that he did which was um very actively involved he was very actively involved in conversations cultural conversations of responding to people like hilton kramer uh, discussions around the you know NEA and was he was he curating at a specific institution at the New Museum? Okay, yeah, with Marsha Tucker. Marsha mm-hmm. Tucker was a director at the time. And, um, when, and what time period was he? He was there doing those? from 1985 to 1987. He, so he's okay. he's the most well he's most well known for the exhibition by ACT UP called Let the Record Show, mm-hmm. and he died shortly after that. And um, so at the archive, the very last notes of his are basically like scratches Mm. to see the deterioration of somebody kind of go through that was somebody I don't know. And to be inspired by his work because um, he was an activist curator, basically. It was one of the first exhibitions about, I think, about AIDS Mm -hmm. ever in a museum at the time during the AIDS epidemic. So I ended up writing this thesis about a curator. My thesis was about uh, this curator, and it was called William Olander and Exhibitionist Criticism. He remains my inspiration. 
um, as to how I approach curating and working. Yeah. Um, because and I'm sorry. No, no. Was, it's it's interesting too because the we said he's he was working at the new museum because the new museum itself was created by artists as an alternative right. to the traditional museum uh, institution mm-hmm. to sort of challenge the way that they're run and how the artists are perceived and what kind of exhibitions put together. Right. And so it makes sense that the one of the first uh, exhibitions dealing with the AIDS crisis and whatnot would take place there. Right. You know, versus MoMA and, and things that have, um, right. kind of what we were talking about earlier, like much more um, historical. Uh, Historically oriented. Yeah, 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 yeah focus. Yeah, and he um, and he's also one of the things that I discovered was that he he was actually uh, critiquing within his own institution as well. So he responded to a show Dan Cameron had previously done. So he was responding to a, a show by Dan Cameron, which was sort of about homosexuality that that was, I believe, in 1986. Um, and he responded to that show at the New Museum as well with a show called mm-hmm. Homo Video, which was a small show that he did um, that was works on video um, by homosexuals and lesbians, which is how they term, how he termed it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because they hadn't, you know, it was kind of just prior to Judith Butler, you know, gender trouble, things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it to be really interesting. Uh, a very, I mean, a very radical approach as a curator to... Mm-hmm work in that way and to kind of fearlessly not just be working within his institution and, and making exhibitions, critiquing the institution itself mm-hmm. and sort of um, ideological structures happening around the institution, but outside of it as well mm-hmm. um, in the world. So Olander, I think for me became, um, has become, because I mean, I like to, I kind of joke around and say I was radicalized in grad school <laughs> 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 um, because of him. And he does like it influences me every day. And he's definitely something. I, his the way that he worked is something I think about when I curate. And mm-hmm. I think you probably you know not knowing him specifically, but it's that sort of similar attempt to critique the institutions that kind of exist around us as curators, whether it's a museum or a commercial gallery because mm-hmm. you're an artist on space. Yeah. And... I was going to say, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, what you're talking about with him, it makes, uh, it like resonates with, I think a lot of, you know, Gladys and I've had lots of conversations uh, in the past about, uh, uh, kind of how do you walk your own path? How do you make your own rules? How do you, uh, uh, break from other people's expectations in the art world where things can feel, going back to it like very rigid and very mm-hmm. prescribed right um and again we kind of talk about like how we have the, you know, this punk rock idea or, or approach to things um which i would like the new museum and that's like zine i mean that scene um i mean that, that was came, definitely that, that came out of like the that was marshall tucker yeah and, basically and, saying like fuck you to the yeah and in mom, new york at the mom, time there, there were no the whitney yeah, 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 yeah. And in New York during the time, there was, I mean, the, a huge amount of artists run spaces yeah. popped up uh, yeah. around the time that the, mm-hmm. the new Absolutely. museum did as well. Um, and so, yeah, what, I mean, kind of what you're talking about, like, for me, like, when I think about the pit and what we're doing there, um, like, the, the shows we put together, I, are, I don't view as institutional critique, mm-hmm. but the sort of, like, impetus for what we're doing is, like, 
I don't know if it's a critique, but it's like totally like no, it's, it's yeah. to make change. You it's know? A, right. kind of an implicit critique. Like yeah. you're driven not by the urge to critique yeah, the yeah, institutions yeah. around you, but the things you are driven by are implicitly like mm-hmm. a little different than yeah. you know. Well, yeah, yeah, the goal right? is to not just subscribe to let's you know open a gallery. Yeah, yeah or yeah. which is fine, but it was a choice you know for you artists, you as artists to create a different type of opportunity for other artists. Totally, yeah. And I think, like, going back to, uh, like, we keep talking about, like, the punk rock roots and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, like, for for me, like, when I was, uh, when I'm still, like, most inspired by, by, I mean, grassroots in general, but I've had such a strong relationship to punk rock, is the uh, the the participatory element that's involved in, right. in those movements always. Um, and that, like, you can just just do it. You know, like, right. like you, you, exactly. you just you just get up and do it. Like whether it is making a space, curating a show, whatever. Um, and and that, I think we've both kind of done that over yeah. and over again. Yeah, yeah, and that's like what has always been it, uh, a motivating factor for the pit and what we do. Yeah. And like, I mean, I know like we, we it still is a gallery, and obviously like we can't like give everyone a show and stuff like that. But um, like t- getting rid of pretentiousness and allowing it to be a community like that really does support artists and that we're accessible to artists um, and hopefully inspire other artists to make their own spaces and to curate their own shows and to make their own books and things like that. Um, I think it all totally ties into like what we're talking about. And, yeah. Like, you know, and well, your press release, and... uh, we like explosions. <laughs> we made a, uh, <laughs> we like explosions. Yeah. We, we, we carried it. <laughs> so we, uh, we semi recently announced a small roster, which was a change in direction for, for the program. Um, and we sent out a press release, which was very, uh, kind of like radical fists in the air. A little bit. <laughs> um, and, uh, Viva la, Viva la the, yeah, the exhibition was called <laughs> "We Like Explosions," and it was uh, we took that name from a Devo song, going back to sort <laughs> right. of like these like right. '80s uh, influences and stuff. Um, but in it, like the end, I'm just looking at it here. This is the only reason I can quote it. Uh, like the very end, like we it's it says, "Make your future, make your scene, make your own rules." We like explosions, the pit. Um, punk rock. And I think, but yeah, and it's not just like, <laughs> it's not like trying to be punk rock, but it's like that's what truly is like what no, totally. what we want yeah. there. Like yeah. I mean, you know. Um, totally. I mean, yeah, I yeah. think, um, yeah, working with you, I mean, that's that's it. Like, I think that's sort of like, um, for me as a former artist and mm-hmm. now curator, starting Joan with my two partners was specifically to not, you know, to be a nonprofit. Yeah. And then in, not and that, to be a commercial gallery. Yeah. And that in for, itself, I mean, like, yeah. like your pro, in, in my opinion, you have a pretty experimental program. Yeah. Um, like a lot of shows that uh, a commercial gallery wouldn't do because you can't sell them. Right. I uh, can't sell the objects or, or the whatever's going into the into the exhibitions. And uh, that, yeah, that's one of my goals. I mean, I personally think to myself that one of my goals is to make shows I like to say that can't be done in a gallery and can't be done in a museum. Mm-hmm. That those opportunities are very far apart, you know, and at a, in a in a gallery it's about selling the work. And in the museum, you know, that's a whole, you know, a long process yeah, to get yeah, to yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like three years of bureaucracy before an exhibition comes around. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're lucky to even be considered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 creating your own your own opportunities, which is which is that sort of well, the most punk rock thing. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and we've discussed this uh, many times on the show a while back, I guess. But uh, the idea that especially recently, there's a lot of artist-run spaces popping up and 
uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, just like bands, punk bands or any kind of bands. It's like, I don't think there can be too many. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like it, the more the it, better. Yeah. yeah. The rising yeah. tide, you know, it right. lifts, lifts all ships in this situation, mm-hmm. especially because it's not in general. No, in, for sure. It's not like a financial competition. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just more cool shit going on. Yeah. More opportunities, you know? more people showing work. Right. More experiences. I think there's definitely some financial good. competition. <laughs> 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 not for profit. Please edit that out. You didn't name names. It's okay. It's totally okay. It's hard out there. I've heard. <laughs> but I mean, what would you guys say about... Uh, Talk to us a little bit about like the the kind of ecology of galleries and artist-run spaces in LA now. Um, now that you've been operating, you guys have been operating at the Pit for a while. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, in LA, we've seen like different neighborhoods come up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. become like you know new art center centers of art galleries. But like Ben was saying, there's all these artist-run galleries as well, and then there's all these like mega galleries. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What do you think about the the kind of opportunities for artists or even uh, fresh new gallerists mm-hmm. in LA right now? I don't. I don't know what Gladys is thinking, but <laughs> she's shaking her she's head. Shaking no, her head. no. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what she's <laughs> saying. Um, I mean, I played the fifth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, it's like I said. Like when I got out of grad school in 2008, there was like. Nothing. There was like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, literally, there was. I mean, there was it's like true. actual size in five three three. Where like I think the only artist that's not true. An elephant. Were like the only artist run spaces that I knew of at the time. Monta Vista. Um, yeah, there were a few. There were a few. Yeah, a couple. Um, yeah. And I think it was actually like I think it, there was it was dry, it was dry despite those but those were small small spaces. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden it was these little ones sort of popping out, and I think it was a reaction to the market because the market was coming back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was. A re- reaction to the market, but also that when yeah. when 2008 hit, so many of the small galleries went away. Right, mm-hmm. and right. so like you were saying, then you know Matthew Marks came to town. Everyone got yeah. big giant spaces, and uh, the ability to take risks on smaller artists is more difficult. Obviously, when your overhead is gargantuan, so there yeah. there hasn't there still hasn't been very many um, new like smaller galleries that have come in. There's some, but there's still like mm-hmm. these big giant spaces and stuff like that. And I do think that uh, yeah, there's not a lot of middle ground. There's not, yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, that's part of why artists are are doing it. I mean, I I'm, in L.A., I think three five six mission was hugely instrumental for inspiring people to do it. They were for the pit. Like when 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 we saw three five six mission, I was like, okay, we got to do this. This is this is amazing what they're doing. And I know it's different because they're connected to a gallery and whatever, but. Um, I, I think that was kind of a game changer for like the the scene of artist run spaces in Los Angeles was when three five six mission just kind of changed things you know like how I mean, so exactly um, well everyone started moving to that area right for one well I think it also like the fact that it is connected to a gallery is also really important as well yeah, it's true I mean it's it's it kind of facilitated both yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 I mean it's it is and strangely because of their space and stuff it's there's kind of a, a the spa- the institution, scale of the an institutional space, yeah. aspect to them as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like the Boyle Heights neighborhood is now full of galleries around them, um, and they're fighting. Yeah, that's yeah. a very problematic situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is really super interesting, actually, that they're yeah, what's going on with the the community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and there's just so many new artists in spaces. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, I can't keep um, up personally. I mean, yeah, do you think I mean, that that, all the time, but a lot of them are opening there. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you were talking about that, that, and I, I, I graduated from CalArts in 03. I certainly know what you're talking about. That expectation mm. that like, I'll graduate with this MFA from this good school and just like look at my watch and wait for somebody to mm-hmm. represent me. Mm-hmm. And you were saying even, you know, 2008, kind of the same deal. Um, but I mean, you think this new proliferation of artists run spaces is because that, uh, that expectation had kind of gone away. Yeah. And then new people coming out of MFA programs or just coming to town were, didn't expect, weren't going to wait around for anybody. I was just going to mention the, the, there was also surrounding the same time period was all this conversation about the schools Mm -hmm. because everybody talks Mm -hmm. about how LA is such a, you know, produces so many artists and Mm -hmm. that there's so many schools here. Right. Um, but then this, you know, simultaneous to the market going under a little bit, um, and then coming back up is this sort of this production of artists, and then where do they go? And mm-hmm. the schools, the failure of the schools as, as a structure. Yeah, I mean, USC's well. MFA program went under. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the M- the MA program was is struggling, was struggling. Mm-hmm. You know? Art Center's MA program went under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The writing program was gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these all these schools. So that was also happening. I mean, not that it's changed the number of artists that have come out, that continue to come out. Mm-hmm. But it's here, changed but their expectations. It's changed maybe, expectations. And expectations of the institutions, maybe. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. perhaps it has sort of yeah, contributed mean, to the influx of yeah, I just, of I think, spaces that have I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, this is when I do studio business with younger artists now, or people who are recently uh, out of MFA programs. Uh, I do think that that uh, mentality has shifted. Like, I don't get the vibe that there are thinking Metro Pictures is going to come in yeah. any day and get them. I you think know, like I think too. it's changed. Yeah. And it's probably be, because, you know, the generation prior to them, people were graduating around the time we did, uh, that didn't happen for very many. I mean, very, very, very few did that happen for. Um, but, like, when we were all coming out, the generation right before us, it did happen for yeah. them. Right. Yeah. So I think it set this unrealistic sort of expectation um, for what should or could happen when you leave one of these MFA programs. Totally. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find The People by going to iTunes and searching for The People Radio. And you can subscribe, rate, and review the show there. You can also find us at insertblancpress.net. Just go to that site and click on The People at the top of the page. And now back to our conversation with Gladys Catherine Hernando and Adam D. Miller. So one of the things that we talk about a bunch is like our, our interest in relationship to, to music. Um, so we were just talking, um, like I always kind of joke around and talk about how uh, as as an artist, the kind of, whenever I talk about like the career I want to have or, or the or artists that I respect, it's always musicians rather than actual like visual artists. Um, so I was talking about like, uh, like the musicians that I love and that are so influential to me are ones that like maybe had like a small moment and then just kept kept doing their thing and walking their crazy path for into the uncool zone for long periods of time <laughs> and then survived and, and th- yeah and then like got like a uh, a cult following and then when they're like older um they're respected again and and have sort of like a, a blooming at the end of their career kind of, maybe not end of their career but you know have like a second uh wave of interest from like younger mm-hmm. people again um so like for me like when the, i was talking about like I, uh, like the melvins Talk about like Glenn Danzig. I'm a huge Danzig fan. 
Um, you are a big Danzig fan. Yeah, I have two Danzig tattoos. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, like that's just like the type of like career that, uh, that I really respect. I mean, Danzig is like a, a little bit different, but like someone who, uh, I mean, it's it's even as a person who loves Danzig, it's hard to like all Danzig records. It's pretty awful for periods there. Um, but he just kept doing his thing and stuck to it for so long. And then it kind of became great again. Mm-hmm. And all these people, like, you know, he was uh, like a punching bag for, for, for jokes for so many for so many years. And now, uh, like, you go to Danzig shows and there's and he's, like, playing, like, arenas and stuff again. Um, well, what's his per- perse- perseverance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, of sometimes you got to make bad work to make good work, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, it's, <laughs> and Danzig's a good example of, I think, what you're talking about. Because the reason he he and the rest of the band, but him specifically... The reason he was so great and then also the reason that he became a punching bag and also the reason that he had this like second wave mm-hmm. of popular- popularity is because of his like implacable sincerity. Yeah. Like yeah. he yeah. 120% believes in the, the thing that he does, which yeah, totally. to be fair and is why we love him is like goofy as shit. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, turned himself into a cartoon character. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that does seem like a reasonable model for, for art making, for mm-hmm. running a gallery or whatever is just that like, just absolute like manifesto, like, like drive mm-hmm. and yeah. like never stopping and never turning around. Well, like here, sitting here on this table is the Riot Girl Manifesto, um, which is uh, Kathleen Hanna, mm-hmm. um, Bikini Kill of Bikini Kill fame. Um, recognize one of them is recognize empathy and vulnerability as positive forms of strength. <laughs> <laughs> right? right. I mean, what being human and succeeding and failing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Riot Girl, that'd be that's another thing that's obviously never really gone away, but certainly yeah. had its like initial bloom kind of like fade and then it now seems like i hear it mentioned a lot more yeah, and yeah there's mm-hmm. more, more interest in it again and kathleen hannah's sort totally. of been in the let's say the news but in documentaries and she's mm-hmm. been a more uh present presence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah right? yeah well there was yeah there was sort of the archive was created and a book was you know an anthology type book of mm-hmm. the zines and the yeah all the flyers and things like that for shows yeah yeah um and but I think it's also like people, I think like um, Kim Gordon and people that weren't officially Riot Girl sort of um, claiming, claiming Riot mm-hmm. Girl like now, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's right. Like, oh, yeah. I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I always think like uh, uh, movements and like scenes uh, that occur like Riot Girl or like uh, – um, like I was talking about Guar, but like this like crazy <laughs> scene that they made in 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 Richmond, Virginia, or like Discord Records uh, in yeah. DC. Um, they're so inspiring because it, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about being um, uh, participatory. It's like uh, they just all like got you know Kinko's copy keys, and then they're making mm-hmm. books, and mm-hmm. then they're they're just sending them everywhere, and then they're making you know whatever they're making. Uh, um, music videos and they're screening t-shirts and there's just like a like I mean, this group mentality all of a sudden makes this like massive amount of production and yeah. it's so inspiring to see and then like people like kathleen hannah uh could just continue to do it you know like yeah. usually like so many people in those scenes kind of fall by the wayside and then there's sort of a certain people that stand out that are continuing to 
still make that stuff or still have their message or whatever. I have a soft spot for Henry Rollins, as you know. I love I, I love Henry Rollins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Henry Rollins is amazing. Um, yeah. you, you know, the old days, but... And I always remember that video for Liar on MTV. <laughs> that was kind of scary, but amazing. Yeah, big and that he was like this, you know, everybody talked about how, yeah, he was huge. Yeah, he's all ripped. And he yeah. was really, you know, super intellectual and everything. And then he kind of disappears for a second, you know, again. Just, makes, just writes books but for then, a long Yeah, time. and yeah. then he's like this brilliant writer, mm-hmm. very opinionated, but amazing his I column think. in LA Week is amazing yeah, yeah and then he's got that great I mean he's got that great show some not so great poetry but just all home runs yeah true but he keeps swinging yeah it's really easy to make fun of him because he's like just the id of, <laughs> <laughs> of the world maybe but oh definitely God. a punk rock you know mm-hmm. um, but you can't you can't deny that dude has that? an indexical knowledge of music so you know he's a, oh yeah he's, he's kind of I have kind of a crush but and then there's this thing with RuPaul. Did you hear about this? Uh, where he was on... Uh, like, him to find love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was Henry, like, okay. Henry's scared. He's scared of love, man. No. Well, how are we all? <laughs> he just wants to pump the iron. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes back to like what you're saying. We're talking well, about no, like... like know, disrupt, disrupt still. Yeah, yeah. You know? like, I just hate her. Yeah, but like talking about like, like sincerity. Like Henry yeah. Rollins is like... 100 yeah. percent sincere about oh, what, yeah. what he writes and, right. and what he puts out into the world is there's uh, in defense, no facade to that. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and he fights for a lot of things. Totally, for yeah, real, yeah. Like, yeah. In defense, yeah, it's, it's fandom, yeah. fandom, yeah. and like sincere enthusiasm yeah. for like the world around you. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, you know, and doing stuff like of, going, yeah. going to. Oh boy, why can't I remember the name of the thing where you go to entertain the troops? Uh, the uh, USO. The USO. Yeah, he ah. does USO tours, which mm-hmm. is like oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that's that. That's a weird thing to think about Henry Rollins going, and not to play music, but to talk, to talk yeah, yeah. you know, to the troops. And his, his spoken word is very funny. I've, I've, I've gone twice, and it is very funny. Yeah. It's also I, very political, which I don't yeah. know if that, how that would play with the troops. But, yeah. yeah. Well, he, but he seems, to be, he seems to be fine with it, yeah. you know? And, uh, like, he obviously doesn't agree politically with a lot of the people he's talking to, but just, like, you know, well, does that's, it. Well, that's, that's, hey, man, that's punk rock, right? Yeah, sure. Um... He has, I remember reading this essay he wrote about how much he loves to still go to concerts, go by himself and like stand in the back of, a, you know, a venue and that how it's, you know, being at a show, at a rock show, whatever kind of show is this experiential thing that it's actually makes you be present in the moment, right? Mm. That is, that I was, you know, sort of enjoyed thinking about and sort of, I guess, aspire towards sometimes, I think, when making, most of the time, aspire towards. Um, The goal is, rather, I suppose, to, when making art shows, Mm -hmm. you know, making an exhibition, that it is that you are there. Mm -hmm. You know, it is an experimental thing that you're not just, you know, it could be uh, superficial, but or distanced yeah, in some distanced, way, or non-visceral right. in right. some way. But right. like that idea, um, I think about often. Actually, uh, if because music has been so influential to me, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny, Adam, your uh, association with like you know your career with <laughs> Melvin's <laughs> dancing. <laughs> I'm like, geez, if I think about mine, like mine are mostly dead. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I don't think about it like that, but I do think about how 
you know, music has this way of, you know, you play a song and it's referential to when you first heard it or a time or an experience, mm-hmm. emotional experience, whatever. Um, and it stays with you forever, basically. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I ask myself, can art do that mm-hmm. same thing? Have this I long wonder. impact, have this yeah. long right. like, emotional resonance right. with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and evolve. Like right. it's staying with you, but becoming a different thing. Right. Like as you age or mm-hmm. get right. distance like, can, from it. Can art move a person in that in the way that music can sometimes? I, I ask myself this yeah. as a curator, yeah, yeah. as a former artist, you know, in my work, it's 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 kind of a rhetorical question, rhetorical question. I can't mm-hmm. answer it. But it's I guess maybe one of yeah, I mean, the I think it's one of those things, like when I saw um, the Paul Tech retrospective. Yeah, that was like a good that, one. I felt like that like uh, moved me in a yeah, way that like that music was a does, great where one. like like the like emotional resonance, yeah. like like when I think about that show, I could I like feel like a like the hairs raised on my arm, like totally. in that last room yeah. that he did when he was dying, and um, or the Mike Kelly thing at the Geffen. Totally, that yeah. 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 I mean, I would yeah, say yeah, I was about was, to ask y'all for examples because I couldn't think of one, but that one for sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah, those are two good ones, actually. I mm-hmm. always wanted to buy that Paul Tech catalog. I never it's did. It's beautiful. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go buy it now. <laughs> um, no, those are two good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I mean, like, going back to like what I was saying, too, like, I think about, like, um, like I love Ken Price's work. And I feel like, like he's totally, like, the model of what I'm talking about, where I feel like he developed this thing. Uh, it was probably successful for a small period of time in the beginning of his career and then it was kind of quiet for a long period of time and then like later in his life like he got Matthew Marks he was like international recognition museum shows uh, and it's just like this kind of oddball work that didn't really fit into what was like necessarily popular during the 70s or particularly the 90s and it's just like beautiful and amazing work and he just like stuck you know he had the long vision for it and it's such an amazing career when you look through the catalog yeah or see the shows you know Right. Like, I think about H.T. Westerman, the Chicago Images, as being in this path as well, where particularly the Chicago Images were in the 80s, they were, like, had a boom of success. Uh, then if you weren't living in Chicago, like, I never knew of that work until until two, three years ago or something. And, like, yeah. I think Carl Wilson's amazing. I think most of those guys are. Um, and them, like, having this similar sort of, uh, not outsidery path, but, you know, like... Uh, operating for long periods of time sort of outside of without support without uh, right. doing uh, what's trendy or what you know just like sticking to their visions for long periods yeah and then being kind of uh, warped visions I guess, yeah you know? I, I, I don't I hope this isn't too I don't know contrived or something but um, I think I think the one work that has always stayed with me that's like my favorite of all time I saw um, it when I was a kid growing up in Miami at the Miami Art Museum, which is now the Perez Art Museum. And it was a, a double stack by Felix Gonzalez Torres. Mm, yeah. And um, it's untitled 96, I believe. And it's two stacks, which is rare. But one piece of paper said, somewhere better than this place. And the other side says, nowhere better than this place. And I took them. I remember being thinking, oh, I can take these artworks with me. And that was it. Sold after that <laughs> yeah. forever. You know, he's, I mean, he's my, my, my favorite, if not my favorite of all time. But, um, and um, I had those pe- those um, pieces of paper up forever. And when I moved to Los Angeles, 
My mother threw away all my posters. Oh, no. Mm. All of my rock and roll posters, my rock posters, Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> priceless posters, and my Felix Gonzalez tours. <laughs> Untitled stacks. <laughs> I was super pissed. I, I still yell at her about it. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> I don't remember the name of them, but the where there's the piles of candy. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those, I remember, They're I different. Uh, they have different titles. always yeah. loved them. And mm-hmm. then way later learned about the stipulations that he would have for those, like that the museum has to replenish them. Yes. You know, and that kids would come in with bags and just <laughs> fill them up and walk. And the museum yeah. is just obligated to mm-hmm. still, if yes. that piece gets shown, to just keep shoveling it in. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, speaking of institutional critique and like yeah. literally like financially like hitting yeah, yeah. whatever institution is showing it, you know. Um, I, I have um, – there's a great catalog of his um, that Julie Alt made several years ago. It's the blue, like blue catalog. And um, there's an essay where they said that during his, I think it was one of his first shows after he passed away. Um, I can't remember where it was, in, but it was in New York. People would take all of the post, all of the, all of the pieces of paper and take everything. And then outside of the museum in the trash cans, all of the pieces of paper were just like shoved in the trash cans and stuff. Because people didn't understand, like, yeah, yeah. it was such a kind of like radical he, act. To, he'd be fine with that. You know? No, I know. Like, that's yeah, that's yeah, part yeah, of it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, take it or leave it, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's the option, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the candies are special. Well, Gladys and Adam, thank you guys for being on The People. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. And when you're there, please do subscribe to the show, uh, rate and review it as well if you can. Yes, please do that. You can also go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And we're on Stitcher and SoundCloud and most any other place that you find your podcast. And of course, uh, we're on Facebook, so uh, help us out and go to our Facebook page and uh, like us. Like us on us. Facebook, yeah. And our theme music, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. And we're going to go out with a song from Sacramento favorites, Pope Smashers. This is called I Have No Mouth. <laughs>